Welcome to Making the Choice 2, a podcast series discussing the transitional time and space around each life choice we make. In this episode, I speak with my friend and former dance TA, Elliot Reza Amadian, about their choice to investigate their gender identity. While gender and queerness itself is not a choice, living your truth is. Hearing Elle discuss the lack of queer representation and language for queerness growing up made me realize how much these things have influenced my queer journey as well. I invite you to continue this conversation with the queer folks around you, as every person who has made this choice to investigate their gender has their own incredible perspective. Welcome, Elliot. I am so happy to be talking with you today. And I wanted to start by hearing a little about a little bit about uh, what led you to begin investigating your gender identity and where you are in that process today. Yeah, um, well, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you again for uh, having me. Oh. Um, my gosh, when <laughs> I guess I mean I I think um, I sort of always start kind of explaining my queer journey with like um uh actually with my my sexuality which you know Mm -hmm. obviously are not correlated necessarily but uh, I think just where I I grew up in the south um, in in rural Tennessee and I grew up inside of a pretty conservative family and um like access to representations of queerness was incredibly limited Mm -hmm. and I I don't even know like I, I can't remember any folks growing up who I knew of at least that were trans or I didn't even know that terminology mm-hmm. um, there was just like very limited access to uh, any sort of gender um, non-conformity um, but I did have access and reference points to like sexual queerness, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think I was able to understand myself in reference to those things. Um, so that was really my first kind of engagement with queerness in in any way was through understanding that I was not straight. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and then, so I, but I didn't come out. I didn't come out until. To myself, even until mm-hmm. college, and um, basically, it, it really sort of was like a, a tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Where as soon as I started like acknowledging to myself that I was uh, queer in some way, like all of the queernesses started unfolding. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Very quickly after I started uh, identifying as gay, I I started experimenting with my gender presentation. And then started understanding um, the the sort of politics of my gender presentation, um, and then after that, so by the time I was probably almost twenty one, um, I started realizing that this like so called politic of me being gender non conforming was really um, deeply tied to an internal experience of. Uh, gender and of myself and of the way I interface with the world around me. Mm-hmm. So I guess like um, and and coincident or perhaps not coincidentally, maybe predictably, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was kind of uh, uh, convened with the time when I started um, ha- 
having access to language around uh, nonconformity and specifically gender nonconformity. So, yeah, uh, I guess around 20 is when I really started to experiment and to understand that I was experimenting with uh, gender queerness. But then, like, um, if you look back, like, when I look back on my life, I'm like, oh, my God, of course I am. I grew up in a family of, uh, I had two sisters, and, like, I was always like, oh, let me, like, um, try on my sister's Halloween costume. I have, like, a very vivid memory, and my sister makes fun of me all the time Mm -hmm. of... Um, you know you know that thing of like when you're going outside to get the mail and you're just like whatever shoes are closest I'm gonna put on whoever shoes they are whatever shoes they are I'm gonna put them on but Mm -hmm. I would do this thing where like I would extrapolate on that and I would put on my sister's high heeled shoes and I Mm -hmm. would walk down the driveway to the mailbox in my sister's high heeled shoes (laughs) I love that that were they were like 10 sizes too big basically totally made it absolutely inconvenient to actually walk and go get the mail but, like, yeah of course of course I'm gonna wear these shoes nice. um, yeah <laughs> that's a long answer but uh, again like I, I I think that that queerness has been present with me through my whole life it's just when did I have the the language to to kind of articulate it right yeah I feel that too <laughs> very much yeah. yeah and I think also like even after like like going to college and meeting queer people was like kind yeah. of the awakening of that but also I feel like there was a lot of avoidance for myself like I was yeah. like oh but I'm not that queer like <laughs> yeah and I don't know maybe that was just like embedded like like old societal norms that were still like embedded in me that like oh I yeah that's that's not actually me, but <laughs> slowly I've been figuring it out. Like, yes, I I am queer in all the ways. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. That's so real too, and it's like I mean uh, I love the way you phrased the question too. Like, when when did you start the the, the journey of discovery, and where are you now? Like, um, because it is completely time-based right like your relationship to yourself is always changing um Mm -hmm. in in all of the ways not just in in one's relationship to gender or sexuality or what have you but like we're we're just constantly evolving and so um yeah I think that's a really great way of looking at it yeah yeah I feel like it's (laughs) like this continual process that will never end but I'm like glad that it will never end kind of like I'm excited to continually through my life, like, keep discovering aspects of my gender that, like, I never realized before, or, like, were there all the time, but that are just, like, sort of resurfacing at different points in my life, so. Yeah, yeah. This, um, I don't know, have you read, um, Cruising Utopia by Jose Espan Munoz? No, I haven't. This is reminding me of that book. It's that's like kind of uh, it's it's sort of, uh, it's a little tropey, but it it is a really really brilliant uh, book and writing. And one of the kind of earliest claims in the book is like we will never arrive at queerness. We just won't get there. <laughs> I love that. Um, and it's such a, right. It's such a beautiful thing to like mm-hmm. constantly be emerging into some something new and never arriving there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that is really beautiful. Um, the next question I had, which 
I guess it all they all relate <laughs> but more specifically um I was gonna ask how much you feel the like construct of the gender binary affected the way you saw yourself and others growing up like if like very much saw yourself as a specific binary gender and like this makes sense or like I feel like this should make sense since that's the way society is telling me it should yeah um well kind of like I was saying before I mean I, I guess um and I'm curious to hear your response to this as well um I didn't have any models for non again like gender nonconformity. so mm -hmm. um, like and I I have this very vivid memory of being, um, I think I was in second grade and we had like, you know, it was like class bathroom break time or something like that. And um, one of the other boys in my class was like, so you dance? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so, so you're gay then? And I was like, no. <laughs> but there was like, like from, I, I just, I have this memory that like there were certain associations between um, what what constituted masculinity and, and yeah. like even just boyness, not even masculinity, but like being a boy. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I, I also I, I mentioned I grew up in the South, and I'm sure it's semi-universal, but also probably you know totally cultural. Mm -hmm. um, like there were things that boys did. Boys played you know t-ball, and boys you know, we're on, like, Little League baseball teams, or, um, uh, you know, boys played football, or it, it was, there was a lot of, like, ball playing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, so, like, all of those kinds of, and I never really conformed to any of those, and weirdly enough, my parents were, like, they didn't really care, they, mm -hmm. like, they didn't, like, like, they didn't force me to play, I mean, they watched me play, uh, I have another distinct memory of going to tennis camp when I was very young and getting hit in the face and having to go home because I had a nosebleed. So like oh, they knew how bad I was, at <laughs> oh. and they didn't like they didn't pressure me to do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, looking back now, I also have this very clear understanding that like I have always kind of failed at masculinity mm -hmm. and failed in in what I now consider to be really like valuable and lucrative. Uh, ways yeah. for who I am now in yeah. my life but at the time not realizing that like I was trying so so hard to just be masculine and to be a boy mm -hmm. or to be a man later and it just it I, for various reasons whether it was like I was always super scrawny and never really like built in a classically masculine way and um I never really had the kind of like um, I never felt like I had that kind of mentality that was required to be a man right. I always had this like this kind of deference that I, I don't necessarily think is inherently feminine but it is inherently I think not masculine perhaps mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah so all of these things I think uh, kind of uh, like 
again, in this retrospective way, this understanding that, like, I never really, I never really want masculinity. And so now, kind of where I am in my life is, is really trying to be like, okay, what parts of, of all of the different gender presentations are really, like, um, appealing to me? Like, what, who, which parts of me do I want to be? Um, and which parts of me can I let go? So, Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I don't really know. <laughs> That's okay. I I like not knowing. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yes, I also feel that way. Like not, or like trying so hard to like prescribe to femininity and like so much that I. At a certain point in my life, I thought I was too feminine to be gay or, like, lesbian or <laughs> queer in my sexuality, but then sure. also that played into my gender later on. Um, but I think it was really, like, like, sort of... And it wasn't necessarily like anyone was forcing femininity on me, but I was more forcing it on myself because I wanted to, like, fit into the crowd of my friends that were, like, did... <laughs> like femininity yeah. made sense for them and I also like wanted to feel that and then like also the activities I enjoyed like being a dancer and I enjoyed like sewing and designing clothes and like inherently like feminine things but then so I was like I kind of <laughs> told myself well, like all these things like this construct of femininity is like behind mm. these activities and like yeah. like gay men do these things like there's no way I could be like a gay woman doing these things but I think it was also then like taking away like femininity isn't necessarily it doesn't have to be attached to a gender I don't think Yeah, it's it's its own thing and I can experience femininity or do the like what would be normally feminine things without experiencing like what it feels like to be a woman if that makes sense <laughs> like it's I feel like femininity and like masculinity are it's their own entities that can exist in gender and like have for a long time existed with but like can exist also on their own without being like man or woman if that makes sense yeah. yeah no I think that does make sense and too like um the the like cultural and social affinities or associations between uh femininity womanness and like um those active, I mean, like, you can even think about the, the, um, whole debate, it's not really a debate, but people would like it to be a debate <laughs> about, uh, using the phrase, like, people with uteruses versus, say, women, right, mm -hmm. and, like, um, attaching womanhood to biology or attaching right. womanhood to action or to, um, any, any sort of these, like, um, seemingly rigid 
category. Like all of those things are totally constructed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting too. Like in the last couple of, I I, want to hear too more about your experience of gender and correlation to dance. Cause I think that's such a fascinating and unique perspective on gender. Mm-hmm. because of the way that dance interfaces with performance and body like embodied performance which in some ways gender can can be like that I think that is one of the aspects of gender is embodied performance right right yeah um, but I have been kind of thinking about this in the past couple of years about like my initial instinct when I started to understand myself as gender nonconforming um, and non-binary was to be like, okay, let me be as feminine as possible <laughs> in whatever way that means. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started doing a lot of like external feminization um, and, and like growing my hair out and wearing makeup and buying a new wardrobe and doing all this stuff. And then it came to a point where I was like, on, on one end, or, or in, in some ways I was like yes this feels more like me and then in other ways I was like this is still not me and I don't mm-hmm. understand why because I'm doing X, Y, and Z and then I realized all I was doing in the process of trying to like become non-binary was actually just like being binary in that okay this means I have to reject masculinity or anything associated with manhood in order to ascribe to my non-binary identity. Right, right. And I was like, I, I came to the point where I was like, that is kind of antithetical to the idea <laughs> yeah. of being non-binary, right? Like, uh-huh. Um, and so the last couple of years for me have really been uh, this kind of experimentation with like, what parts of myself are actually just inherently non-binary and can I let those things emerge and be present inside and outside of me mm-hmm. and it's been super funny because in the process I have like uh, like recently I shaved my head and that was kind of a really big aspect of my identity for a while mm-hmm. um, was having longer hair and I was like how do I reconcile my internal feelings of gender when I have very when I look very ma- I mean I have I'm Iranian I have lots of body hair I have a beard that comes in in like three minutes such <laughs> short hair I have thick brows it's like how how do I reconcile feeling so queer when I look not as queer as I think I feel inside mm-hmm. and it just came to I have started emerging into this realization of like it doesn't actually really matter what I look like on the outside yeah nice <laughs> because I have always queer on the inside and my experience of queerness on the inside is fluctuating so of course my experience on the outside of gender is fluctuating as well Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, I love that (laughs) yeah I feel like the appearance part is so like I am still kind of like trying to find like a style or maybe multiple styles that I feel like are really me because yeah I think right at first when I was like okay I'm definitely like genderqueer like trying to figure out how to like masculinize myself but that wasn't who I was and it didn't feel right at all so it's kind of yeah like and also kind of realizing that certain things that 
maybe I coined as feminine and I was trying to move away from weren't necessarily feminine but just like work for me yeah and that's okay it doesn't have to be feminine it can still be a part of my identity without that so yeah yeah it's so tricky too because um you don't want to be reductive right like Mm -hmm. in, in your brain you're like oh i know cognitively that like wearing lipstick doesn't make me queerer (laughs) and I also know that cognitively when someone sees me wearing lipstick they will look at me and think oh that's not something I see every day and so it's just this really you know that's maybe a bad example but it's this, this kind of delicate again interfacing between your internal experience of self your um desire to let that manifest in various ways it's not just appearance too right like right it's it's carriage it's uh um so many things um mm-hmm. and then your like cognitive understanding of like well i know that this like very simple thing doesn't in fact make me who i am right so <laughs> they're like tools right they're like tools for for accomplishing a means but it's so complex to like be constantly having that that conversation in your head of like well this tool didn't work the way that I expected it so mm-hmm. what do I do with it <laughs> exactly right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and as far as like gender and dance I guess I hadn't really thought about it until I want to say like junior senior year of high school when mm-hmm. I asked to be the nutcracker in the nutcracker my senior year um and it was honestly it was my favorite role not necessarily like the dancing part but just like like the whole process of like asking and like working on like literally a male variation for like months and like having my teacher coach me and like just like working up towards that was really a fun process for me and more so at that time like sort of brought to light my sexuality I think more than my gender um because I I just like wasn't in that headspace yet I hadn't like thought about that or like wanted to (laughs) maybe kind of like pushing it away still um but yeah loved like having a little girl that I could partner with and like that was it just like felt so like I finally felt comfortable in like the role I was in because probably not every role before that but most roles before that were fairly feminine and would be wearing tutus and everything and and points was like never a thing that I enjoyed it just like never looked good on me and I just never felt comfortable like doing points so like by my senior year of high school was like okay like kind of just like felt comfortable rejecting that and sort of saying like I want to try this thing out and so that was really fun to be able to take on that role and (laughs) discover more of that for myself because 
I mean, I still don't love how ballet is so gendered and black and white in that and like there's not a whole lot of room like even just like taking a ballet class like women do yeah. point work and men do like the jumps and everything and yeah. yeah it's a little disappointing still I guess but um yeah it's so it's fascinating I mean it's it's like um it's like that tools conversation though again that it's um yet you can acknowledge the problems in ballet's history and its present <laughs> uh, certainly have not disappeared <laughs> right <laughs> um, and at the same time like it, that's super fascinating to me that you like had the agency even if you didn't quite have the vocabulary to say what it was that was drawing you to that but that you had the agency to say this is something that I desire and this is how mm-hmm. I'm going to action it is by I'm going to literally I mean, like, it's almost like ballet drag, which, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, Sarah Hook, Sarah talks about <laughs> imagining ballet as a drag form kind of all the time, or even dance as, like, mm. this hyper-performed version of yourself, yeah. or yourselves, plural. Right. <laughs> um, so that, I mean, that just, that is really... I just love that. I just love that we, <laughs> you were the Nutcracker. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah no, but I love the idea that it is kind of a drag performance because that really it's so true. I feel like because yeah. I think every, I mean especially ballet, but yeah, classical ballets are very like that's where like character roles come out, and it's oh, very. Totally. <laughs> it lends itself to hyper-performance, and so I love that idea because, yeah, you don't like, you're just sort of performing a gender, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the gender that you are. (laughs) And maybe part, yeah, maybe it is part of it, but that's not, it's not the full, full aspect of your gender necessarily. Yeah. There's something really compelling about that idea that like you can just become someone else Mm -hmm. if you want to in a dance and that maybe that becoming someone else is kind of what is I don't know like is that the goal is that the goal of dancing Um, and I guess it doesn't have it certainly doesn't have to be universal but Mm -hmm. it does seem like that's the goal in dancing ballet so uh, or, or I guess, you know, uh, again, sorry, generalizing here, but that, that very classical story ballet character role archetype, right. which is mm-hmm. not all of ballet, certainly. But that is kind of the goal, right, is to become someone else. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so why not mobilize that in, in just, like, as drastic a way as possible and, and you know, play cross-gender, play a-gender, play um, uh multiple genders at the same time I mean it's like uh, you know that's that's how Black Swan is done right it's like you're playing literally two characters yeah that's very true kind of on opposite sides of, of some spectrum so mm-hmm. like why not do that in in all of the spectrums the sexualities the genders the uh, yeah that's super fun I wish mm-hmm. do you, I really hope you have video of that Nutcracker I need to oh see. I do I do <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty hilarious because, I mean, I'm a short person in general. 
<laughs> but then also like being this short little man essentially like doing the partnering and like with the soldiers like i am the same height as all of them so it was it's just so funny because it's not it's just not the like size and shape i think that you normally expect to see when you're watching the nutcracker but for sure um i i had a lot of fun doing it and a lot of fun like taking on that masculine role even though that's not who I am I think I discovered or it like was a pathway for me to discover a lot more of my gender and sexuality so yeah I feel like it is or it was really meaningful to a lot of things that I later discovered about me and also just like in my dance style that yeah. I probably wouldn't have found had I not had that opportunity, so. Yeah. Well, that makes me think so much, too. Like, now I'm kind of reflecting back on my studio dance background, which is a little bit further back than yours. Right. <laughs> um, and, but now that you're saying that, like, I have a distinct memory. I always, 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 always wanted to do, like, the Arabian uh, dance in mm. the Nutcracker. And in some ways, I felt, like, entitled to it, because that is my cultural heritage. I, my right. uh, dad's from Iran. Um, and But it was, we always did it, uh, the studio that I danced with, they, they always do it as a peacock, which kind of borrows mm. from... Um, uh, the, the the oh god Murray Sendak version, mm-hmm. um, and apparently, which is t- anyways, there's so much going on here. So <laughs> <laughs> the peacock could only ever be a woman, according mm-hmm. to the studio that I was a part of, which is hilarious because the peacocks that are actually like the beautiful, gorgeous peacocks that we associate with peacocks are men, right? right? They're male <laughs> peacocks that have those beautiful feathers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So they're just like they're the queerest the queerest of queer animals but mm-hmm. um yeah I, I have a distinct mem- and so going back it was like that reminds me of your uh earlier question about like i don't know i almost interpreted it as like benchmarks or baselines for masculinity throughout life and i i don't really remember those and again looking back i can understand that i kind of failed at them mm-hmm. but i do have memories of like benchmarks for non-masculinity and I think at the time my instincts were femininity or or the progress of my peers who were women or girls or um, um, like seeing what they were going through and feeling like I was missing out because I wasn't going through those same steps I wasn't getting to put on point shoes I wasn't getting mm-hmm. to you know be the peacock or um um, I was always like the kind of I was the only boy at the time in the dance studio um, that I did most of my other styles in so I always ended up doing the like boy part right like, right mm-hmm. we did uh, we did easy street we did a tap dance to easy street and so I was like the, the the sleazy what is he an uncle or like See the boyfriend. I don't remember what no idea. From Annie, the like with the, the the one with Carol Burnett. Okay. But I like you know I played all those roles because that's like I had to do that and mm-hmm. yeah. Now that you're you're bringing this thing up about um, your experience, with that, it is really like 
um, there is a really high potential for this kind of liberatory cross-gender or mixed-gender kind of drag experience mm -hmm. in, in those kind of narrative uh, dance forms, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope to see it evolve more that way, where it's not so rigid, but, like, anyone yeah. can be anything, because really it's, like, like, the characters themselves are are not... They don't have to be these binary things. I think they have a lot more yeah. to them. So, yeah, hopefully in the future there's more... More... I don't want to say, like, role switching, but just, like, anyone can do any part because why not? <laughs> and with partnering, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, and they did for some of the partnering roles that the Nutcracker would typically do have, like, yeah. an actual guy do some of that, because, I mean, I couldn't do, like, shoulder sits necessarily, because yeah. I just didn't... I don't have that body, but... Damn. Um, <laughs> yeah! <laughs> One day, maybe, you know? Um, but I think, I think there's a lot... It's, it doesn't have to be so binary. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and too, like, what you were just bringing up, it that just shows how much of, like, a, again, an, an evolution and a process our experience of ourselves in relation to gender can be. Because, like, I'm, I'm just thinking here, like, um, if you wanted to do a shoulder sit that is whatever classically considered you know a man lifting a woman uh, you would have to do the like physical labor of manipulating your body to make it possible for you to do that thing mm -hmm. right and same yeah. with like if i actually wanted to do point i would have to like train for a while even as for both of us even as folks who are dancers and who are trained dancers if we wanted to do those particular things that have classically been associated with genders it would require training in that gender so to speak mm -hmm. right like yeah um that is in some ways no different than like any of the other things that <laughs> folks feel compelled to do in in order to maintain their understanding of gender um, yeah it's, yeah that's really quite fascinating and at the same time it's like with that labor and that work could allow for and as you're I think kind of articulating here has allowed for um, uh, an experience of queerness right as a result like mm -hmm. you being able to step into that nutcracker role even if you didn't have the language to articulate it at the time was you stepping into some element of queerness right mm-hmm Yes, for sure. Um, my next question, a little tangent. <laughs> I was wondering, specifically in relation to pronouns, what your process was of choosing pronouns, and like, if you had like any stepping stone moments, or you sort of like, kind of felt clear on something once you sort of started discovering your gender identity more? 
great question. I um, actually, this is not an answer to your question, but I had been thinking for a long time about like I want to write an article that's just like ten different people's experience of pronouns and like changing pronouns because mm-hmm. it is. I think it's so individuated and so mm-hmm. everyone's experience is different and. Again, it's, it's, you know, it's like queerness. It's always evolving. Um, my, let's see. So, I, I mean, I grew up with he, him pronouns. Mm-hmm. And um, around age 20, I started identifying as gender nonconforming. Um, but I was still using he, him pronouns. And at the time, I, um, I was surrounded by really lovely queer people uh, it was a very small community, <laughs> but a very tight knit and respectful and like progressive queer community at, uh, at my alma mater. And um, when I started experimenting with gender, um, the, the folks around me asked me about my pronouns, and my response was like, "I can't imagine not being called he him, right. so I'm going to stick with that." Mm-hmm. And I did for a long time, and then um, I don't really remember what the impetus was, um, but he, him just started feeling like it didn't fit anymore, and Mm -hmm. uh, so that was around the time when I started using they, them, and it was so fascinating to me because uh, for the first few weeks, after I told people that I wanted to use they, them pronouns, um, I would, uh, probably months, not weeks, but I would experience the like, oh, that person used they, them pronouns. Right, Oh, yes. that person. <laughs> and then after a while it switched where when someone would misuse pronouns for me, that that is what I noticed. I no longer mm-hmm. noticed when folks were using the correct pronouns. Um, and that was such a fascinating shift to me. And it makes me think so much about, like, names as well. Um, oh, yeah. and, and that's all pronouns are, right? It's just mm-hmm. um, um, another way of naming yourself. Right. And, like, if someone walked up to you and was like, I don't know, Frankie, hey. And you, you'd be like, my name is not Frankie. What are you <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I feel the same way, like... Uh, about nickname, you know, like, when nicknames emerge, um, mm-hmm. or when someone gives you a nickname, that, like, for the first few times that they call you by that nickname, you're like, what? Who are you talking about? Right. <laughs> and then it starts settling with you, and, and you kind of enfold it into your identity, or you choose to not enfold it into your identity if it doesn't gel with you. Mm-hmm. And if I, that, I think that's been, so far, at least, that's been my experience of pronouns, is just, like, you can feel when something is or isn't gelling with how you feel about yourself, and um, and then you choose or choose not to ask the people around you to kind of go along with that experience of yourself, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I've. Is that <laughs> in any way similar or different to your experience? <laughs> um, I guess. I mean, definitely, like hearing they them pronouns i'm like oh wow that <laughs> like nice choice <laughs> like because <laughs> i haven't like i've started asking people like like she her or they them is fine sure. um 
And that kind of started, like, for a while, I guess, maybe, like, around this time last year, I kind of wanted to, like, introduce they, them pronouns, because it felt like that, you know, would also make sense for me, and yeah. sort of, like, wanted a reason or, like, place to start with that, um, yeah. and so it wasn't until I met on Zoom for... Um, like a little orientation for Bates Dance Festival. I was an intern with them last summer, mm-hmm. and at the orientation, decide like, okay, like this is this is a great opportunity to like try using they them pronouns. And so, yeah. like, said I use she, her, and they them. And throughout that internship, like as the time went on, more frequently was being called they them, and mm-hmm. really enjoyed like. <laughs> how that sounded and everything and um yeah I mean and still kind of am in like the space of like either because I feel like it's just still kind of natural for me like it's kind of interesting to like when I think about myself and like have little like storylines about myself that I'm playing in my head like what pronouns just like come up for me because sometimes I'll just like in my head call use she her pronouns and then sometimes it'll be they and it's just like kind of random <laughs> even yeah, yeah. for myself which is like kind of interesting like okay like is that actually how I see myself or is that just like still part of like because I've been called she her for that long and it's just like still yeah. coming up so yeah, I don't, <laughs> I guess kind of different, but I don't, I guess I'm still figuring out what actually fits and what is just, yeah. like, I feel like should fit. <laughs> but. I love that, um, the, the point that you made about the stories that you kind of tell yourself in your head about yourself, because mm-hmm. that's such a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about it until you said it, but it's like, it's. Or, like, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I talk to myself out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, I uh, justify it by telling myself that I'm talking to my dog, but really. <laughs> um, uh, we all do it. We all do it. <laughs> Yeah. But it's the same thing, right? Like, you're like, um, yeah, you totally reference yourself and, and the pronouns that you use. And, and that is kind of, I think that's kind of one of the earliest ways that I experimented, actually, was mm-hmm. just by, like, what does it feel like to use a different set of pronouns? Right. I also love that you point out that that idea about multiple pronouns. That was not something that I was familiar with when I um, first made the decision to change pronouns. Gotcha. And I love that it has become more and more emergent for folks. Mm-hmm. And and it, I feel like it just so accurately captures the experience of non-binary gender that it's like, yes, sometimes... I'm going to I'm going to function in this way and sometimes I'll function in this way and I need you to understand that so mm-hmm. please refer to me in all of the ways. Right, exactly. Yeah, and even like now sometimes like even when people do use they them pronouns I'm kind of like, "Whoa, like I don't even know if like that's how I'm feeling today." And like yeah. I totally respect that they're using that, but I'm like maybe like I don't care if you use she her today. Yeah. Um so yeah it's yeah very interesting to like 
work through that and everything. But also, like, the nickname thing, because <laughs> going back to when I was Nutcracker, my teacher, because there were two, like, men that she hired in for that show also. So she was like, okay, the men, like, you know, who had, to some degree, masculine names. And so she was like, okay, you need a masculine name, kind of, like, as a joke. And so she named me Hal, as an abbreviation of Haley, but the masculine version of that. And it's really stuck because still, like, everyone there still calls me Hal. And honestly, like, sometimes I'll call myself Hal when I'm talking to myself. And so, like, I feel like that nickname has, like, kind of become a part of, like, also, like, my identity, but, like, not even in, like, a masculine way anymore because at first when, like, she was calling me that. I'm like, oh, that's like an old guy's name. Like, I don't like that. Yeah. But it's just kind of like a fun nickname that I also, like, it does inherently still feel like queer and, like, is um, sort of acknowledging these other parts of my identity, but yeah. not necessarily masculinity, so. Well, there's something, I don't know if you feel this way, but... Uh... There is something about your given name that feels tied to, and maybe this is because, I'll just speak for myself, maybe this is because I am still relatively young and have spent more of my life attempting masculinity than living in my non-binary truth. Right, right. But, like, there is something about my given name that feels connected to that early experience of life mm-hmm. and so I did I um, it, it it just so happened that around the time that I changed pronouns I also received my first nickname of my life for some reason I cannot explain to you why no one ever gave me a nickname ever <laughs> and I just all I ever wanted in life was a nickname and so okay. I worked with this, this wonderful director her name is Gemma and uh, we were working on a production of Macbeth, and she just started calling me L, And I have no idea where it came from, but she just started calling me L, And I was like, I love this. This is the rest of my life. And so I asked people to start. I was like, you, you can call me L if you want. But it just so happened to coincide with when I, like, publicly started changing my pronouns. Mm-hmm. And so now I think people have associated this, like, shortened version of my name with my queer identity and mm-hmm. are, like... Which is totally a valid thing. Right. And is also perhaps not a valid assumption. (laughs) (laughs) So I have this strange experience. I don't know if you have this experience where I'm just like, like, currently half of my students call me L, half of them call me Elliot, and Mm -hmm. nobody knows why anyone calls (laughs) me the other person. (laughs) Right, right. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, because I still work with, like, the studio I grew up with and everything, and honestly, I don't think... There are definitely some of the students that know the origin of Hal, but honestly, most of them probably don't. Yeah. Because they were, it's just way before their time, and so... And them knowing I'm, you know, a queer, like, exploring my gender, at least, um, I don't know how they <laughs> interpret that, but it's true that some of them call me Hal and some of them call me Haley. I have requested and there I teach all older students. 
So I don't, it doesn't feel as weird to ask them not to call me like Miss Haley or like have like a prefix like that. But I did like request to the director, like when you're referring to me, like don't use a prefix. Cause like, I feel like the Miss and the, I don't know. It's just so old fashioned anyway. And it doesn't, it doesn't need to be a part of my name. Um, Totally. I don't know if you've ever had like that conversation of like prefixes i know there's like the mixed prefix now but that's still i don't know it's just like i just feel like there doesn't need to be prefixes but yeah (laughs) for sure my i mean my philosophy is i'm just i'm just like um how long do i have to wait to get a phd so then everyone can just call me doctor there you go (laughs) (laughs) no no i'm kidding um no, yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. And especially, you know, with working with um, younger students, I can mm-hmm. imagine um, that that comes up a lot. I mean, my, uh, I guess, similar but also different um, experiences. I mean, I, I told you I grew up in the South, and in the South, it is like blasphemy to not use sir and ma'am. Right. And, um, when I moved to the Midwest and, and again was starting to come into more of my understanding of gender, it's just like, can you demonstrate respect for another human without implicating their gender in the process? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's really fascinating. And I also get, I kind of also get into the opposite conundrum where, um, uh, I, I think the new thing that I've noticed is folks, um, well-meaning cis folks, I will say, <laughs> <laughs> using they, them as kind of a stand-in for actually asking someone's pronouns, or which I understand, right. you know, depending on the context, isn't always safe to do or isn't always conducive mm-hmm. to do to, like, stop the conversation to be like, what's your pronouns? Right. And also, it's not that hard to do in most circumstances to, like, make it comfortable and safe especially if you're well-meaning like it's it's not that hard to do Mm -hmm. but um i have noticed this trend of like kind of on the opposite end of things like using they them as a stand-in like that's almost as like that can be as violent as misgendering someone because you may end up misgendering someone in the like you are misgendering someone in the process right Right. like right (laughs) yeah i mean how do you again how do you like show respect to someone whether it be through prefixes, whether it be through Sir Ma'am, whether it be just through pronouns in general, but just without implicating their gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, they, they them pronouns have sort of become, like, the umbrella of all <laughs> pronouns. Like, yeah. if you need to use a pronoun but don't want to be offensive, like, it's they them. And... For sure which I think is valid, but at the same time, does that take away, like, the power of they-them pronouns for the people who do use that as, like, their... as their pronouns? I don't know. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, and I, I kind of understand the impetus, because... <clears throat> right, like, if, if, if the... if it's, it's sort of that classical example of, like, someone leaves a coat at a movie theater, and you're like, oh, whose coat is that? I, I hope they know that they left it here. Yeah. Right, like indeterminate gender we Mm -hmm. use the singular they but I think again it's like um, 
if you're if if everyone in the room knows you're talking about someone and you're just using they to kind of cover your own ass, then it's like you're just actually not doing the labor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of respecting this person, you're just trying to cover your own ass, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. It's real. It's real. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, as a final question, I was wondering, and this is a big one, <laughs> but I was okay. wondering how your work, your current like creative processes are influenced by your gender identity or how your like recent discoveries or like where you are in your journey of gender identity like how that's influenced your work that is a big question Of, of 
kind of like horizontalized shared communal understandings of embodiment and physicality and language and performance with people who are not men mm, and so I yeah. did this whole process that I am very grateful that you were a part of mm-hmm. um, and I had 28 other dancers in the process as well and created this huge system this network of shared meaning that eventually culminated in this performance of whatever but in the process it was like oh actually like this is what I'm curious about is the the, the communication and the network uh, I keep using that word network and it, and I can't come up with a better um, kind of idea at this moment in time but like I guess kind of what I'm boiling this down to is that um, the whole idea was like I'm gonna I'm gonna I've been turning away from masculinity for the last three years let me turn it around and face it head on and <laughs> see what happened yeah. the process of like saying that to myself actually what I did was I like turned around looked at masculinity and then just softened my back into this web of non-masculine energies and thought and Mm -hmm. shared um, embodiment and it was it was not what I meant to do but it was what I needed to do it was again just really magical and totally reflected where I am slash was at the time in in correspondence to myself so Mm -hmm. right now um, I'm very early in a process for a new work that will be titled Jack and Diane. Um, and it is really attempting to investigate my cultural and familial heritage um, in, I think, also in relationship to queerness and, and um, like, who I became and am becoming. <laughs> right. Um, but my my brain which you know ask me this in six months and see where i ended up but my brain right now is sort of at the place of in the last work that i made i came to this understanding of and right like how can i be this and that right really trying to as uh as oxymoronic of a statement as this is Mm -hmm. trying to avoid the either or kind of situations where I'm like, well, I'm not going to look at femininity. I'm going to only look at masculinity or vice versa. Right. And just understanding that that is inherently not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so what happens if I try and look at all of these things at once? Um, nice. So looking at my maternal lineage, looking at my paternal lineage, looking at myself as both the Jack and the Diane in this kind of like rosy Americana um like pop culture playground with weird reference to Lady Gaga and also <laughs> like music. <laughs> I love that. Um, this whole I don't know. I'm just really I, I think that's where I am right now. Is like how how do I let all of the parts of myself exist at the same time? I think that's mm-hmm. where I am. Nice. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, that seems like such a, like a very, um, just, like, engaging and, like, I don't want to say tiring, but, like, that's, (laughs) like, a lot to be able to, like, say, like, yes, let's look at all the parts of myself at once and, like, create something with that. I think it's really powerful, I think, so. I'm excited to (laughs) hear and see more about it. (laughs) 
it's like it's that it's and and i know you know again i just like i said in a year i'm gonna look back at this conversation and be like oh my god but <laughs> it does feel good to be like okay i i understand that i have not been doing this for myself and mm-hmm. how can i harness these these practices and again like we were talking specifically with dance you know it is embodied performance and gender mm-hmm. is in some ways in some capacities embodied performance so uh, dance and choreography feel like such magical landscapes to explore those ideas and and allow yourself to to try and become more yourself right um, so yeah it feels like an exciting project right now <laughs> <laughs> nice that sounds exciting <laughs> cool Well, thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts and your experiences. I'm so happy to have, like, heard all this, because, like, I really did not know about your, like, growing up and process of, like, finding your, where you are now and all of that, so it was exciting for me to hear all of that. Oh, thank you. I'm really glad we got to connect and, and, and have this conversation. I would love to continue the conversation as well. I, I feel mm-hmm. so, you know, it's so strange, this, like, pandemic time and um, the, like, being wrenched from your context wherever we were two years ago and into this new world. But right. I feel very fortunate <laughs> and very grateful that you and I have been able to connect to these various strange and disparate ways in the last couple of years. I hope we get to continue. Yeah, I hope so too. (laughs) Elliot is a gender non-conforming, interdisciplinary artist, teacher, and scholar. Their work occurs in the intersection of dance and choreography, video art and editing, sound and music, light and photography, and popular culture. Their website, where you can find more information about their current and previous work, is elliotreza.com which will be linked in the description of this episode. The music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com, and Anchor is the platform that got this podcast to your ears. Thanks for making the choice to tune in.